do, 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 do. Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 596, closing in on the big 600. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we're going to talk about a concept that Kathy read in a book called Your Turn. Yes, it's uh, Julie Lithcott uh, Hames' book, new book, How to Be an Adult. Uh, which is a follow-up to one of her previous books, which is How to Raise, raise an Adult. Raise an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, and the concept that we're going to discuss is called The Invisible Situations. Just Invisible Situation. Oh, Invisible Situation. Yeah, I mean, and I'll explain what that means. Okay. I just found it to be very helpful in describing something that I think we deal with as a society, but we didn't have language for. And she gave me language. All right. Thank you, Julie. Um, but first, we are going to do the uh, Zen Parenting Moment, which is a blog that Kathy writes twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays. And what I do is I just pull up a few from the previous week and pick one to, ch- to talk about. And uh, first, I'm going to just play a clip from City Slickers, because this is the quote that led your blog. And the title of the blog was called... Attention. Attention. So it's about 60 seconds. You all come off here about the same age, same problems. Spend about 50 weeks a year getting knots in your rope, and then then you think two weeks up here will time for you. None of you get it. Do you know what the secret of life is? No, what? This. Your finger? One thing. Just one thing. You stick to that and everything else don't mean That's great, but what's the one thing? That's what you got to figure out. That's what Mitch has to figure out, mm-hmm. sweetie. Um, I want to do a pop culturing on that movie at some point. And you were in agreement with it. Sure. I love that movie. Um, yeah, it's an impactful movie for me. I did not know that you uh, liked it as much as I did, so I was yes. happy to hear that. Yes, great 80s movie. So is there anything you want to talk about uh, Cowboys, what's his name in the movie? Uh, Jack Palance, his character, the one Curly. thing. Curly. No, I don't really want to talk about them. The I, I think the quote was just making the point that um, whatever you focus your attention on and how thoughtfully you focus your attention is what determines how you see your experience in the world. So if you really know what's most important and you are focusing your energy in that direction, then days have the potential to feel meaningful. But if you are like your attention is being focused on things you can't control, maybe, you know, having more people buy from you or you know, having more likes on your page or having looking different or whatever it may be. And that's your goal on a daily basis. Not only is that something that is not always in your control, but it, it's, it has very limited meaning. It has very, it may give you, even if one of those things is achieved, it may give you a feeling of pleasure or like excitement, but then it's quickly, uh, it quickly, what am I trying to say? It quickly goes down. You quickly lose that feeling and you have to start over. It's like climbing a ladder you keep getting kicked off of. So basically focusing your attention on something that's really meaningful to you and that can give back to you and that you know what's most vital in your life 
is how, you know, kind of like Curly said, with the, if you know the one thing, then you have a better opportunity of feeling fulfilled. Mm. So, and it's also just how you look at the world. Like, where do you place your attention? Do you, like, I, you know, it's funny because I know we all jump on our phones and scroll through social media, um, which, you know, we've talked about the pros and cons of that for what, 10, 15 years, but I really do see the difference in how I feel. Um, I've really been noticing how I feel when I look at social media, like more, and, and sometimes I learn something great, something I needed to know. And a lot of times I'm like, that's not helpful. That's not helpful. That's not helpful. And so it's like, why am I putting my attention here? It's not about avoiding it altogether. It's about maybe paying attention a lot more to other things Mm -hmm. and paying attention to how you feel when you're going through it, which is what you just talked about. Correct. Um, so if you're interested in receiving, um, each of Kathy's Zen parenting moments in your inbox, all you have to do is click on the show notes on your phone right now and scroll up a little bit and it'll give you a link to subscribe. So it's that easy. Um, and maybe I'll play a clip from this, um, the daily podcast, but I feel like I'd rather jump into the main concept of today's podcast. And if I want to play something on the other side, maybe I will. Okay, so the idea of the invisible situation comes from uh, Julie Lithcott Hames's book called Your Turn. Um, basically, this book is written for um, the adults that we were raising from how to be an adult so or how to raise an adult. So in other words, she wrote the book, whatever, the first book 10 years ago or five years ago, and it was for the parents right. raising those kids. Now this book is for- Those kids. Those kids. Who are now adults, like our daughter, who is 18, who I was really excited to you know, hand this over to her. But I ended up reading it myself and getting very focused on it myself because I think there's a lot in it that is helpful to all of us. At least I have found that. I actually emailed Julie and said, this has been, this has come at a really good time for me. How do you know? Do you know Julie, sweetie? Well, she was uh, at our conference a couple years ago. Um, She was one of our speakers after her book, Real American came out. um, And she was fantastic and really appreciated having her. And then she spoke at our school district like Mm -hmm. six months later. So we got the opportunity to hear her twice. Um, But so the first thing that caught my eye was I was in a chapter actually called Take Good Care. And it was a more kind of um, uh, a deeper version of self-care. Obviously, you know, the book is not just about, oh, take a nap. It's Even though that is one of the suggestions, it's a very intensive look at self-care. And you know, I, I ran across a quote actually from our friend Debbie Reber, who wrote Differently Wired. And her quote is this, there's a tidal wave of young adults who are just discovering, oh, this is what was going on with me all along. And some people are relieved. Others are pissed. Everyone is kind of owning it in different ways. And basically that quote is about that this generation that is coming up as adults, they they have a better understanding of who they are. And that can be just in how they perceive the world or even how their brain is wired differently, how they are have experiences that other people don't, either in being neurodiverse or in um, having, you know, dealing with anxiety, um, having just a different way that they move through the world that other people may not see. And that's where the word invisible situation comes from. Because if you have a visible situation, Julie writes about this, it's really kind of easy to get support from other people. Like say you broke your leg Mm -hmm. and you're walking around on crutches. People are going to be like, oh, can I help you? You know, you know, how, how about I take care of you? Sit here. Oh, have my seat. You know, there's a lot of like obvious support 
for a visible situation or you've been hurt or you have a black eye or whatever it may be. But someone who has an invisible situation may not be believed mm. in how they experience the world, um, that they may share, this is hard for me, or this, you know, this sound is too loud for me, or this experience makes me feel like I can't show up for it, or, um, you know, I'm very sensitive to what these clothes feel like. And, and we oftentimes as parents push back on that and say, you're just being overdramatic mm. or you're being too sensitive or that's not a real thing or you're trying to manipulate me. Always my favorite thing I hear from parents. My kids are trying to manipulate me, um, which I think is just our way of feeling out of control. We've, when, we, when we're saying that, it's because we don't want to believe what our kids are saying. Because if we do, then we'll have to do some work either outwardly that we don't want to do or inwardly that we don't want to do. Correct. We have to actually change some kind of dynamic. If it be like for me, I know that something that has always been really difficult is like if I have an expectation that, you know, you're going to go to school and then this is going to happen and then you know, you'll show up for this. And, you know, it's kind of like you have a, a uh, an idea of what a kid should do throughout the day. And if they can't do that for whatever reason, it throws me off and makes me feel frustrated. And I'm being very general right mm -hmm. now. Like obviously my own personal experiences, it's, it's more, it's more difficult than that, but it is, it, we don't want to be thrown off. We want to be in control and we want to have an understanding of our kids. But I want to like read this um, from Julie's book. She says, invisible situations such as being neurodivergent, anxious, having chronic migraine or having autoimmune diseases such as chronic fatigue syndrome or MS present a different set of challenges because people just don't get it. And or they don't believe us when we express our needs. Um, and then she goes on to tell a story about her friend Chris who has MS and she describes how you know, she was actually down at the border um, with her friend Chris, and they went to protest against the treatment of people mm. at the border. And she was saying how Chris, there was one day where she just went full out, like she was up all day long and, you know, carrying her signs and talking to people and just full out. And the next day, she could barely get up. Mm. And so people who don't understand an invisible situation will look at Chris and say, Ugh, you did it yesterday. Yeah. Why? What's? Why, why is today so different? Get up, and you know, and what she explains, which she talked about a this this example. I really like this. Um, she taught her about the concept of spoons, which was a metaphor that was created by uh, somebody about twenty years ago, uh, Christine uh, Miserandino. And she said that she used spoons on a dining table to quantify the amount of mental and physical energy she possesses in any given day. And it has to be measured and rationed if it's going to last. So healthy people have an unlimited number of spoons, but chronically ill people have a limited number. And everything they do, like getting dressed, making breakfast, making phone calls, making a sign for a protest, it takes away a spoon mm -hmm. until they're gone. And so someone who is struggling with their invisible situation might run out of spoons before the day is over. Um, and they need rest to replenish. Like I, I was kind of talking to the girls about this because there's a few different areas I want to talk about when invisible situations, but two that I personally experience is one is anxiety and the other one is migraines. And with migraines, I have gone to work with a migraine. 
Um, as you know, I have given a two-hour presentation with a migraine. I have done a podcast with a migraine. I've done interviews with a migraine. And then often after I'm done, I literally fall over. Mm -hmm. And so from the outside, someone would say, but you were fine two hours ago. You did it then. I used about eight spoons to do what I did. And then when I got into bed, I was done. Okay. So from the outside, it may look like, oh, well, now she's tired or give, and I don't, no one's ever said that to me, by the way. I think I do that to myself. Right. I think to myself, why could you do that? And then right now you can barely get up. Yeah. Um, and I also experienced that with my own version of, and when I say my own version of anxiety, it's because I think everybody experiences it differently. And I tend to be, um, mine comes out in a sensitivity, like things can be too loud or smells are too strong for me, or I can only have a certain number of things said to me where I'm like, it's too much, you know, I need, it's like, I have a different level. uh, I have a different sensitivity level and I, sometimes that doesn't make sense. And would it be safe to say that you have a different sensitivity tolerance depending on how many spoons you have left as well? For sure. Because there are times that I can go, 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 go. And all of a sudden it could be seven, eight, nine, 10 or midnight. And I so hit a wall. And and I don't think that I'm unique in this. Like I'm, I'm explaining, I really appreciated the invisible situation because um, this is not just with me personally, but experiences we've had with our kids where it's like, we don't understand their world their world, and what they're going through. And we try to apply how we experience the world on them. And I think what I've learned now being a parent for 18 years is when they are telling you something that they are experiencing, you listen to them and you learn about who they are and you do your best to support them. Or the language I've been using lately with my daughter has been support and bolster when she needs it, not overcompensate for her or do the work for her. But there are times when you're supporting and and there's times when they need a little bit of, uh, let's do this a different way. Or can I give you, you know, can I walk you through this? Or can I give you an idea of how to do this? Even if they don't want to take the advice, it's like, I like that. Do you know that word bolster means like to it uplift? Reminds, it reminds me of yoga. Oh, perfect. Explain that. That's really good. So in yo- back in the old days when we used to be able to go into a yoga class, <laughs> um, they have blocks there, they have blankets, and they have bolsters. And a bolster is just like a big, dense pillow that you would sit on to elevate your hips the way I would use it, elevate my hips when I was doing certain poses. So basically it's just something to support you that's soft but solid, if that right. makes sense. So maybe that metaphor will help us when communicating with our kids, you want to be soft, but solid. Well, let's talk about like when you and I do wheel, I can lift up into wheel pretty easily. Mm -hmm. And for you to go up into wheel, you need a bolster Mm -hmm. and then you can get into wheel. So then we're having a very similar experience, but the bolster helps you get there. And so that's kind of the way I look at, you know, myself or when I'm helping one of my kids is it's not about not allowing them to experience something on their own, but sometimes they can't get into full wheel Mm -hmm. without the bolster. And then maybe that is something they work toward, or maybe that is a challenge that that will always be there. And the bolster is just this gift. So there's a few things that you, first of all, you talked about, I feel like we need to kind of zero in on what the invisible situations are. And I wrote down a few of them. You talked about migraines. Now, Uh it's hard for me to empathize with you on migraines simply because I've never had one. I know. I, I feel like I do an okay job on it because I know it's debilitating and all encompassing. 
Um, but I think it's easier for somebody who's had a migraine to be like, dude, I totally have your back because I've been there and I know what that's like. Uh, you talked about neurodiverse kids. You talked about MS. Is there any other, I, I just want to like make sure that everybody knows maybe a few more examples of what is, and basically all these things you can't see walking down the street. So basically it's anything that's going on inside of your body. Anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, you know, chronic stress, um, you know, chronic fatigue syndrome that you can't understand. Um, let's see, fibromyalgia. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of all the things that the women, uh, women tend to experience autoimmune disorders more commonly than men do. It's mm-hmm. like, um, at least statistically speaking, from you know, the women I work with, there's a lot of women who sure. have autoimmune disorders. Um, and you can't see it. Mm-hmm. And so one day they may be you know, at the school picking up their kid and they're in good spirits and the next day they're in bed. So a few things need to happen in order for the world to understand their experience. One is the person, like you, let's just go with migraines. You need to be able to communicate what a migraine feels like to somebody who doesn't know what it feels like. Mm-hmm. And you've done that for me quite well. But yes. I think there's a lot of people that try to hero themselves and pretend it's not as bad, bad as it is, or even if it is, they don't want to feel like they're a victim. So what this requires is for the people with these invisible situations to have the courage, which is not that easy to do, to be able to communicate that to others. And then it's going to require the people around them to listen and truly understand. And it's not um, necessarily that easy of a thing to do. And then the one question I had for you is like, you know, the world sometimes doesn't, believe the person. Correct. That's kind of the challenge of this. Yeah. Why? It's funny. It's reminding me of that song called Iris by uh, Goo Goo Dolls, Mm -hmm. um, where he talks, he says, I can't tell the world because I don't think that they'd understand. I don't want the world to see me. Yeah. Because I don't think, so anyways, I don't know if that's what Johnny, whatever the guy's name is, is talking about. And that's why, you know, when you look at a, a complex human being, we all have, we all probably have a visible situation, mm-hmm. you know, something that maybe someone, or we've had the experience with a visible situation, you know, take your version of what broken leg looks like. And you have experienced how people experience that. Right. Some people are super, you know, they're helpful and some people avoid it and some people don't want to see it. And, you know, so visible situations have their own set of challenges. Right. But the, what the thing about the invisible situation is to your point, it necessitates a lot of vulnerability, mm-hmm. which is I am struggling and it's not something that everybody can understand or experience, but I am going to own it mm-hmm. and do my best to get my needs met and to ask for the help that I, of course, need and deserve to get through a day. Um, and I think what I appreciate about this generation, the the age that my kids are, uh, 18, 16, and 13, is I have seen just as many challenges in this generation, if not more. Maybe, uh, you know, it's hard to know because I feel like we were so quiet in the 80s about what was burdening us. Mm-hmm. But they- And there's probably less things burdening us in the 80s than there are now. I mean- it's I, It's interesting. I think that there are probably more things to worry about in 2021 than there was in 1982. It's- I would love to hear who's that guy who wrote that book about how things are getting better, progressively oh, yeah. getting better. Yeah. I would love to hear his research on that because 
I think there were a lot of things because of secrecy Mm -hmm. in the 80s that were significantly harmful. We didn't talk as much about our identity. So people had to suffer and feel that they were wrong. We didn't. And I mean that as far as sexuality Mm -hmm. and gender, a lot more kids were molested and not believed. There were more um, challenges. There were more like health issues that weren't being identified and taken care of. So it's like... So in those circumstances, it was harder to be a kid in 1982 yeah. if you were confused with your gender or your sexual identity yeah. and things like that. The guy who wrote that book, I don't know his name, but he talks, I mean, I've never read the book, so I'm kind of talking out of left field here, but you know, it's like there's less people starving in, yeah, in the he, world. He talks and, about the data. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so if we look at it with that big picture. But when I think about myself in 1982 and I was in fifth grade, I, I remember, you know, I, we were worried about nuclear war and I'm trying to think of the other big things we were worried about and I can't come up with much more than that. Well, I think that you were worried about your family and I think you were worried about going home mm-hmm. sometimes and I think you were worried about things. And that, and that was personal. So Correct. yeah, I had things to worry about. I think where I'm talking about is like worldly. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I understand that. You and know, like there's that part in um, eighth grade, is that what it's called? Uh-huh. Eighth grade. And there's like another, you know, um, not a bomb threat, but a school shooting exercise Drill. Mm-hmm. and everybody's on their phones. It's no big deal. Like right. they're not even impacted the fact that they're doing a drill for another school shooting. Right. Or they're significantly impacted and have no choice but to go through that trauma over mm-hmm. and over. You right. know, either way you can look at it. Right. Like they're acting as if it doesn't bother them, but how does that affect their dreams? How yeah. does that affect their, you know, immune True. system? How does that affect the way they interact with the world? So I think that what, you know, what I was going to say was that kids, I think, or young adults these days are much better at expressing their invisible situations. At least I have found with my own kids, I've been so proud of them when they have been able to say, this is what I'm experiencing and I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Because I think as a kid, I was very much like, if I'm going to talk to my parents about something, I need to have it all figured out and have the solution so I don't burden them. Right. (laughs) You know, like, or just the fact that I felt as if I was going to burden them gives you an understanding of where the hierarchy was, right? Right. And And I have experienced, um, a difference where it's like, I need help. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and even though you can't see this, this is challenging to me. This is hard. And it gives me, for as challenging as that can be for our generation as the parents and the adults, right. I think it opens us up to seeing people differently, accepting people, a great deal of compassion, a great deal of self-introspection, seeing ourselves more clearly, where are we not telling the truth? Mm. You know, where are where have we been pretending that we have enough spoons when we don't? Mm. Um, and it was, so just this understanding has been, you know, helpful to me in that I really appreciate being around people who either have experienced or have a trust of invisible situations. Mm -hmm. And when I say trust, meaning they believe people, Mm -hmm. Um, which as a therapist, that's kind of been always been my work is talking to people in my office. They walk in, hey, hi, how are you? And then 15 minutes in, that's when all everything comes out. And you wouldn't see them walking down the street and know the the pressure they're facing. So I feel like what you're communicating right now is that... collectively and generally speaking, maybe if we could be more honest, yes, 
one with ourselves, but secondly, with their with our partner, with our family, with our inner circles, and even with our outer circles of what's going on. Like somebody who broke their leg in a cast has no choice but to show the world that they broke their leg. Right. Um, so in that way, there's no decision that needs to be made. Um, and there's part of me, because I remember I broke my leg and I walked around the cast and part of me loved it. Like I got all this extra attention oh, sure. and all that. I, I remember when JC broke her arm, um, she was young, really young. And at first she didn't want to go to school. Do you mm-hmm. remember? She was like, I do not want to go into that school because, you know, everyone's going to be looking at me. And then she had the experience of, oh, mm-hmm. everyone's going to be looking at me. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know? um, but when these invisible things happen, I feel like there's this inner critic inside of many of us or most of us or all of us that say we don't want to draw attention to ourselves. So it's really a multifaceted issue. Um, one is our, our inner experience. The other is how we communicate that experience with the world and then how the world responds to this experience that if we're brave enough to share. And it's all shame. Mm-hmm. It's that we should be better. We should be stronger. We should be more like this person. We shouldn't have to ask for help. We shouldn't. There's just so many shoulds in mm-hmm. there. Um or shouldn't, <laughs> that we are doing something wrong. And I, it's taken, the reason I'm so in admiration of this generation of, you know, these kids is that it just took me so long to even believe myself mm-hmm. is that I have always had, you know, and when I say sensitivities, they haven't been necessarily off the charts where I've been unable to function, but they've been strong enough that they've zapped my energy or made me feel sick or made me not want to do certain things because it's too hard to explain to people, mm-hmm. you know, why is that sound so loud or why, you know, like it's, it's just a, it's just, you know, it's funny because my, uh, my brother-in-law, my sister has a lot of allergies, mm. a lot of them. Like she was born with them. And I remember sitting in the um, clinic with her growing up, she'd have to get allergy shots every week and she's allergic to, to everything. Yeah. And, um, she and my brother-in-law, who's they've been together since they were 16, you know, when she's sneezing or having an attack or whatever, he'll just say, that's just Christine. Mm-hmm. That's just, you know, it's just part of who she's always been. And I kind of always use that for myself is that's just, that's just Kathy. Like, that that's hard or, ooh, will you answer the door? Or right now, I, you know, like, there are times, and you know this because you live with me, that I can be just firing on all cylinders in the best way where it's like, this doesn't bother me, this doesn't bother me, this doesn't bother me. And then something gets hard and there's a lot of feeling in me like, just keep going, just keep going. But my spoons are running out. I just don't have it. And and I don't think that, again, as I said before, I don't think I'm that unique. Mm-hmm. I think that can just come from being overtired or that could come from you know, your attention being on the wrong thing, you know, like what we were talking about before where we're just so zapped. Um, but there's definitely some personal experiences that I have with anxiety and sensitivity that I now understand. And I feel like I can express to you and express to my kids and also just own so I can take care of myself. I don't always need someone else to take care of me. I just need to trust who I am, and that it's time to recharge. Well, I kind of like the spoons metaphor, and we've kind of been talking around it for the last 10 years in the podcast. So one thing that that we've shared is usually at the end of the day and it's starting to be bedtime, like you're done. Yeah. Now there's times when you have to, even if you're done, you can't be done because something else needs to happen, but you're out of spoons. Mm -hmm. And we wake up every morning with probably a certain amount of spoons Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, like last night, I don't think either one of us got a really good sleep. So we probably have a little bit less spoons this morning than we did yesterday uh -huh. morning. So I don't know. I kind of just like it saying, you know what? I feel like communicating this idea to our, our family saying, I'm out of spoons. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's kind of freeing is that I, it's just easy to communicate an idea with, you know, the spoons metaphor, mm -hmm. because otherwise it's like, this is what a migraine is. Mm -hmm. This is how it affects me. This mm -hmm. is how this I is get nauseous. This is what anxiety feels like. This is what... It's right. easier to say, I'm done with it. I got no spoons left. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, and it's also like even using the right language because, you know, for me, I think the way I look at a day is, is I use a lot of really intense energy, really, I don't know how to say it, intensely. Like I, I zone in, I focus, I... Um, and very like, uh, it's like, I'm so in, like I jump right into the middle. I'm listening to people. I'm supporting people. I'm helping people. I'm very focused. So that's why walls are hit because I literally, it's like zooming on a roller coaster. And then it, it's not a very, um, I was getting to a place where it was slowing down a little bit, but then life happens again. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it is, it's very hard for me to not give my all to a person or an experience. I don't have a lot of ability. So when you don't have it all and you can only give 50%, you probably judge yourself for not being able to give it all. Of course. And is 50% of you better than none of you? And I would probably say yes, but it's it's this nuanced place that you have to be able to communicate what you have in you, how much energy you have to give. Yes. And there's... so. In there, there are some things that I can personally do, which is be better at my own self-talk, um, utilize my energy in a more effective way. Like there, and there are tools that I use to do that. So it's not always like crash and burn, mm -hmm. but it is very challenging for me to give half. Mm -hmm. I can't, I don't. I if I'm you're with an all, people, you're an all or nothing kind of gal. Exactly. If I'm with people and I feel them and I know what they need, I can't just go up to my room. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is what I have to do. So that's why at the end of the day or <laughs> five o'clock or whatever, it can be very, um, you know, the spoons run out. And one thing that Julie's friend Chris says in this book is that it's really not in our best interest, any of us to borrow spoons from the next day. Because then you're constantly running at a deficit. So this the whole chapter is about your own self-care. Um, I think starting with taking understanding yourself, taking care of who you are, being able to express who you are to others so they have a better understanding of who you are, and then making sure that you take care of yourself. Well, it's funny. I didn't think I was going to play this, but I'm going to play it. It's the uh, daily um, podcast and I'm going to play about a minute of it, but it, it relates pretty well to these moms who don't have any spoons left. Mm. And so the title, so the daily is a podcast uh, that comes out every day from the New York times. And this one is called the agony of pandemic parenting. Mm. And I want to play the clip. First of all, it's kind of a heavy it's a heavy podcast, so it's kind of draining on my, even for me, who can sometimes filter through my emotions pretty good for whatever that means, but it's kind of heavy. It, it actually ends on a, on a relatively inspirational note, but um, it's, so the New York Times set up this voicemail line for anybody to call in and share the trials and tribulations of being a parent during the pandemic. The title of the podcast is called The Agony of Pandemic Parenting. 
Uh, it does contain strong language, emotional descriptions about the challenges of parenting during the pandemic. So it's probably not something that you want to listen to with your kid around. Um, but I'm just going to play a minute of it. And it's really, for me, I thought that the reason I want to play it is because it is a way to empathize with anybody who is is specifically challenged more than most for this pandemic. And in this episode, it's all moms. Mm. Surprise, surprise. Do this. I'm so angry at, at like our entire government and societal system. There's just no backup or no help or nothing. I just want to wake up and go through my day and not worry and not wonder and not know what the future holds because this right here sucks and I'm sick of it. I'm so sick of this. <laughs> this pandemic has made me realize that maybe I'm not cut out to be a mother. I love my kids, but I don't like being a mom, and I don't like being a mom in America because it's just so much more clear that America hates women and hates families. We don't have support. Moms are not heroes. And this is just so hard, so hard. And they go on and on. And for me, um, you know, I don't think that this was filtered through any specific gender, but all the voices on this podcast are women. And I, I judge most of them are moms who have younger kids. And when I say younger, between toddlers and maybe middle schoolers. Why do you think that? Because of, you know, you can hear the ages of the kids that are on there. Um, you know, you can tell oh, the, you can hear the, kids the young the man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And or the ba the baby crying in the background mm -hmm. and things like that, and you know this is a whole nother podcast, so I don't you know I don't think we're going to go into it as deeply as we probably can, sweetie. But the pandemic, in my judgment, impacts uh, in an imbalanced way how uh, the pandemic impacts women more than men. And you you flew you threw out some statistics about the amount of women that had to quit their jobs. Correct. The, versus the, the workforce, 2.3 million. Yeah. Versus the amount of men. I don't know how many it was. And even more women of color. Yeah. Um, there is, it's, you know, everything is a microcosm. I, how do I explain this? So in the best of situations, um, in a home, raising children, meaning where everything is basically stable, Typically, women are doing more of what we would call invisible labor, mm -hmm. right? So, um, and I and I have to say, typically now because I have met, um, you know, uh, you know, men and same sex couples who are sharing, and, it, and it's not always, but if you look at statistics, it's typically women, mm -hmm. um, and that just carries through everything. <laughs> you know, if there is a crisis, then women figure out what's going, you know, with the pandemic, how do I engage with the school to figure this out? How do I become the teacher at home? How do I make sure my kids are getting some kind of social interaction? How do I, and it doesn't mean that, that other family members aren't involved. I think what I always explain to you, Todd, is when I wake up in the morning, I know that it's up to me. Mm -hmm. And I know that you will come in and support and help. And I, the, the visual I just gave to Todd recently was, 
that sometimes when I feel like I'm carrying uh, buckets of water up a hill, and when I say to Todd, I I need support or or whatever it may be, sometimes he's like, well, then hand me both buckets. And I'm like, really, that's not possible because then it necessitates me explaining everything to you. So it's a lot of work. And on the very- Just to pass the bucket to me requires work. work. I mean, even just think about the most basic thing. Okay, I'll go to the grocery store, but what do we need? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, and that's just a minuscule piece. It's like, I still have to. So what I say is just pick up the buckets with me Mm -hmm. and let's walk together rather than us trading off the bucket Mm -hmm. or me carrying it alone. Um, because that's how in this situation that we're already in, that's how the support will be helpful. Um, because if you're asking me to just hand it off, that's too anxiety provoking for me because then I'm just still thinking about everything I have to do to help you achieve your bucket carrying. Mm -hmm. And if you're not doing it at all, that's not helpful. Um, but I explain to Todd that when I wake up, I know that this is on me and I know that he'll say, no, it's on me too. And I care too. And he does. I, you know, here's the thing about Todd. Like I know sometimes on this show when people listen, cause I get these emails, they'll say, you have no idea, you know, how engaged and how like, um, you guys are a team, which is true. You and I are a team and yet there's still this part that I know it's still me. And I, would you agree with that? For sure. Okay. Cause well, I, I've always, I've, I've, said that you are the CEO of the household, which basically means you are in charge. You have to initiate, you have to guide. And I am like, whatever, the second in command, but I'm still the second in command when it comes to the emotional well-being of our three kids. And that makes it easy for you to run out of spoons pretty quick. Right. And then you you put in all of my my issues with going all in and feeling other people's emotion and taking on other people's um, challenges and having your own migraines and having my own migraines. And, and you, and, and it's not, I don't, it's not like you're, you see, I'm already rationalizing. I'm like, I'm like, it's not like you need to feel sorry for me. That's my female Mm -hmm. programming, Mm -hmm. which is don't do this, Mm -hmm. what I'm about to do. Um, But it is a lot of work and those women crying on there, I don't know their situation but I can feel them. Yeah, that I they are sisters that I know, mm-hmm. and um, every woman I talk to in my office, every woman in women's circle, all of my girlfriends, we are telling the same stories. And right, and I was just reading an article um, in the Tribune, or maybe, no, it was in the Post this weekend or at the end of the week about. Um, women of color, um, especially black women right now with everything that's going on with the trial and and these shootings that keep occurring, how exhausting it is to wake up Mm -hmm. and do all the things we're talking about and also to wake up having to confront um, and hold up and teach and talk about race relations and how that just adds such a layer that I cannot even relate to. Um, and then coming out of a pandemic and coming out of four years of an administration that was so oppressive, um, we are wiped. And, and what I know is a lot of people listen to this show for like, well, can they tell me something inspiring? (laughs) We're going to be okay, Mm -hmm. but it's okay sometimes to say, wow, this is a lot. Mm -hmm. I actually have this quote that I have on my phone that says, it feels like a lot because it's a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it's that simple. Do I believe that we 
grow deeper and more connected to each other and more compassionate and more real. Like one thing is my layers are stripping away like crazy. And I mean that in the best way. Like I am just getting down to like the most raw version of myself, which I think is really good as long as I'm not so raw that I'm sensitive to the world. You know, like I'm trying to find this, um, I'm trying to, I don't even need to find her. She's in there. Allow her to be as real as possible. And I think that's good. Yeah. So I am not like, there There are always blessings that come from challenges, but sometimes in the midst of the challenge, it's hard to have that hindsight. Yeah. And sometimes it's just hard. And um, And so for those of you that are like, is this hard for everybody? This is really hard, everybody. Mm. And we're going to make it through together. You know, the Zen parenting is... I, you know, just wrote a book about Zen parenting and that comes out next year. And Zen parenting is not about avoiding challenges ever. It's about dealing with the truth of the moment and having tools to allow you to do so and having compassion for other people and feeling your connection to others so we can release that judgment or harm of others or hurting other people with our hurt, hurt people, hurt people. And then I just read this thing the other day that says, and smart people ask smart people for help. Mm. You know, like we either become smart and ask for smart help from smart people, or we're just hurt people who hurt people. Mm. We got to choose. So I want to end on that optimistic thought, which is that I am becoming a better version of myself, but it's daunting. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I just want anybody who's feeling that way to know you're not alone. So let me finish the show and close it up, sweetie. And okay. you say uh, hello and goodbye to our kids who are about to go to school. Okay, I will. I'll go do that. Um, bye, everybody. Have a good week. Um, so yeah, thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, I do want to uh, thank our partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty. He does painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Um, avidco.net, A-V-I-D-C-O.net. And their uh, cell number is 630-956-1800. I do want to uh, mention uh, Men Living, which is the men's group I'm the executive director of. We have a wonderful week of programming this week. I invite anybody to check out our website, menliving.org, um, and check out all the different events. We have seven different events this week for any men to uh, jump into. And then uh, I also do coaching, toddadamscoaching.com. If there's any guys out there, I coach guys. If there's any guys out there that are looking for some one-on-one -on -one support, check it out. And I'm going to close with um, one of my favorite songs of all time, uh, just that one line that we talked about earlier in this podcast, which is uh, called Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls, uh, because they're really powerful lyrics. So I'm going to close with that, and we'll catch you all next week. Keep on trucking. Just don't want to miss you tonight And I don't want the world to see me Cause I don't think that they'd understand Where everything's made to be broken I just want you to know who I Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review. It helps people find us. The best part of what we do is getting to spend time with our listeners in an awesome community of parents who have come together over at Team Zen. 
TeamZen is a great opportunity to connect as much as you want with a group of like-minded parents, and you'll even get exclusive content from Kathy and me. Find out more about TeamZen on our site, zenparentingradio.com. We know your inbox needs more hopeful and helpful info, so sign up for the Zen Parenting Moment. Two times a week, you'll receive a quick read that will boost your day and improve your outlook. Sign up at zenparentingradio.com. While men and women, moms and dads, parents and non-parents are all welcome here at ZPR, we know most of our followers are female and moms. So today we're shouting out an opportunity that's just for the guys. Men Living creates opportunities for men to gather together to give and get support and build friendship. I am one of the founders of the group and you'll find me every week helping facilitate our virtual meeting on Wednesday nights at 7.30. Interested or want to share the details with someone you love? You can find the Zoom link at menliving.org. Ready for a Gen X view of personal growth? Join us for Pop Culturing, our podcast filled with humor, fun, and a characteristic emphasis on self-awareness as we explore movies, TV, and pop culture. And don't forget, I coach guys. So if you're interested, head on over to toddadamscoaching.com and schedule a one-on-one session. First session is free. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give him a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.